This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. It is a beautiful Tuesday morning here in Hawke's Bay, which is the home of cricket this afternoon. India taking on uh, New Zealand in Game 3. Of course, Game 1 rained out. Game 2 comprehensively won. Comprehensively won by uh, India in uh, Bay Oval. Uh, But at the moment, I look out the window, it's a beautiful blue sky day in Napier, but I don't want to curse it because I've looked also at uh, my local uh, weather website says 80% chance of rain this evening, so let's just hope that is wrong. Let's just simply hope that that is wrong. Right, what have we got on the show today? First up, we're uh, going to uh, give you the opportunity uh, to call us. Uh, I thought about some uh, talkback uh, subjects. The, the, I think the Black Caps is worthy talking about. Um, you know, the, the Martin Guptill thing still sits around me somewhat. And the emphasis they are putting on this young Finn Allen, uh, I think that's huge. And I, I just wonder whether uh, that's too much, too much for him to bear. And it's openly been stated that they, they're, they're hanging their hat on him at the top of the order. So uh, is that the case? Uh, could we talk about our golfers? I mean, how brilliant have our golfers been? I'd love to hear from you in terms of our golfers. This is 0800 150 by the way. You know the number, 0800 150 uh, And, of course, you can be in to win the Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill, it looks an absolute piece of machinery. It certainly does, and that's thanks to uh, Aber Living. So we, we shall love, absolutely love a call on that. Any any subjects you like, actually, we could review. Give the, the All Blacks a review if you like, and you still might want to talk about the Black Ferns. Uh, around about 9.30 this morning, we're going to talk to Garth Galloway, noted cricket commentator, about uh, this match tonight and about the Black Caps in general, and Kane Williamson, who's taking uh, this game off for all medical reasons, we are told. Just after 10 o'clock, Steve Mintz, who's the uh, manager for the Auckland Tuatara baseball team, had a great series of games against Canberra at the weekend. They return home this weekend for their first home series. So uh, we'll talk to Steve about that. Panel this morning will consist of Hamish Bidwell and Ben Strang. Uh, A number of issues there. Uh, Rugby, rugby, black caps, uh, the World Cup and golf, of course, with Lydia Coe. Um, Ryan Fox doing so absolutely brilliantly and let's not forget Stephen Elka too uh, and after 11 o'clock uh, Daniel McCarty has been so busy uh, throughout uh, the summer calling cricket and now calling football we'll talk to him about the three games that were played overnight in fact one still in action just after half time now into the second half and the USA lead Wales 1-0 and have completely outplayed them to this point we'll have a stump smithy for $100 $100 around about 11.30 this morning so make sure you get on the phone 
and call that number 0800 150811 for a chance to boost your Christmas funds possibly um, and the, the most important thing though to announce this morning is we have a new show sponsor a new show sponsor and we're absolutely proud to be associated with Brant now Brant uh, the suppliers in New Zealand of uh, the local John Deere equipment that includes uh, all sorts of mowers and tractors and anything that's green anything that's green is John Deere it is just a wonderful product and uh, such a powerful product worldwide they have the John Deere Classic of course in the PGA and we are very very proud indeed to have uh, Brandt as our show sponsors so that uh, is great news best news you can get today Brandt thank you very much and their outlets throughout New Zealand are a plenty just look in your local guide and you'll see where you can get your John Deere equipment Thank you to Brent for being with SENZ in the mornings. It's time, Logan, to open up the lines. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 811. Mikey from uh, Christchurch is uh, first in line. Mikey, uh, good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Smithy. Um, quite pleasing to be able to talk to something other than rugby. Um, I'd like to just mm. special mention to the golfers. Um, wow. Is this the, one of the best years we've had outside of uh, Michael Campbell's uh, win all those years ago? Just unbelievable Mikey, I think you're right. Guys. I think you're right. I, I, you know, that when, you, when one, of your, uh, one of your golfers wins a major, um, that is something absolutely special because they are they're the pieces of gold, but... To be honest, if you look collectively, Mikey, I can't, I cannot believe that we've had one. I, I just simply oh. can't. It's just, just stunning. And for an old, well, not, I guess it's old. I'm, I'm, I'm the same age as Steve Alka. That guy gives me hope. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're about to embark, a bit, eight of us are about to embark on our, our annual golf trip. This will be our 21st year this year. Um, wow. Well. We leave on Wednesday. And we all get together around New Zealand, and uh, and uh, I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling good. I'm gonna gonna rip it up. You're prime. <laughs> He's so, giving me the confidence. Okay. Mikey, what courses are you playing? Uh, we're, we're going up to Havelock North. Um, we got kicked ooh, off ooh, the Porsche ooh. one because a big group were going there. So I think we're playing Napier, and I think we're playing Hastings as well. So you got kicked off Cape Kidnappers, you're saying? Yeah, apparently it was a huge group yeah. coming in, and uh, eight people versus about fifty—not uh, worth it. So, okay, <laughs> which is well, a I, real can t- I can, I can tell you, Napier is a very good golf course. But I played Hastings on Sunday morning. It is an absolute mint condition waiting for you, Mikey. So I promise you that, oh, and it'll be a challenge beautiful. for you. Make sure you don't play, don't play any off anything less than the blue tees. If, if your big boys want to play off the blacks, that'll be a challenge. But the blue tees, absolutely sensational. So. Um, you'll love no, it. You'll absolutely awesome. love it. Hey, just on Ryan Fox as well. Does he play all the majors next year, or does he just got exempt yes, for a couple he, of them? No, no, he's fully exempt on all majors from here on in because of his world ranking and his performance in certain tournaments. And that is the reason why he has uh, absolutely got no interest in live golf because his dream growing up, of course, was to to you know to be a very good golfer, to be a great golfer, and to qualify to play in all these events. Finally, now he's got that opportunity. He's not going to turn his back on that. So, you know, um, good luck to him in there. But, yes, fully exempt. That's great news. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Timothy. Okay. M- Mikey, enjoy Hawke's Bay. Um, I hope the weather's good for you. Brendan. Brendan, good morning. Also from Christchurch. G'day, Brendan. Yeah, morning, Smithy. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Good, mate. Um, I just want to 
can have a quick chat about, um, for a start, I'll, I'll touch on some golf as well, but um, Martin Guptill, um, for a start. New Zealand cricket did the right thing by Ross Taylor, and they you know, they gave him a bit of a swan song and an exit. And the way Martin Guptill's being treated after everything he's given is absolutely disgusting. He deserves the same treatment that Ross Taylor got. He deserves to go out on his own terms. Well, there's no doubt about it for me. Uh, Martin Guptill has been, um, I think, our best and most dangerous white ball batsman. When you look at the, some of the innings that he's played and the dynamic way that he's gone about it, um, I, I totally agree with you. He, he deserves a lot more recognition than just being carried around or dumped completely. Um, for, a, for a young kid who really is on trial, you know, if, if he was, had been surpassed by a proven performer uh, or two proven performers at the top of the order, I would totally agree with you and say, you know, he perhaps should have gone off his own volition. But that has not been the case because neither Conway nor Finn Allen have said, I am better than Martin Guptill. And not to my way of thinking, Brendan. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, Finn Allen, yep, you know, won magic innings maybe. Martin Guptill's had hundreds of them. You know, like he's proven himself over and over and against the best in the world in their conditions. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to take. I think um, for him, he, he must be absolutely distraught with the way he's been treated. Well, I, I do know him. Uh, I haven't spoken to him personally about it. <clears throat> I, w- I have spoken um, to um, Laura, of course, his wife, who uh, is an avid cricket fan, but uh, also uh, I work with her, uh, do a few things with uh, Laura in terms of cricket um, interviews, etc. Yeah. yeah, he's feeling it, but, you know, he doesn't... He's never... One thing about Martin Gupp to us, he has never sought profile. He has never gone, um, you know, cap in hand to the media for support or anything. He's just... He's taken the good with the bad uh, because that's the kind of guy that he is. Um, so he's not going to be one of those um, grumpy, outspoken people. Uh, he, he just doesn't do that kind of thing. But my, my feeling is he's feeling it. Feel, I understand he's feeling it a wee bit. And I, I think I would be too, Brendan. Yeah, well, that just shows his class, Smithy. Um, you know, like mm. you say, the fact that he's not, not commenting. But um, one other thing too, Kane Williamson... Um, I mean, he's going to go down as one of New Zealand cricket's all-time greats, but not T20. Um, unfortunately, it's not his game. Um, he, he's a great test match batsman. He can bat long-term. Even in the one-dayers, I'd have him in my team. But And then for New Zealand cricket to come out and say, oh, he's not playing because of a planned medical appointment. When you're the captain of your team, you don't plan a medical appointment for the same day you play in India at home, do you? I, I find that strange. There's a bit of a question mark about that for me, to be perfectly honest. And I, I've, I've got no, I've got no idea. And if it is a medical event, then quite clearly you and I and everyone wish him well and hope the medical event turns out okay. And whatever he's doing is, is just fine because, as you say, he's a terrific bloke, Kane Williamson, terrific servant of the game. But you know, if you're going to leave out Martin Guptill because you don't feel he's got the hitting power or that anymore to bat in the top three. Really, you're going to consistently pick Kane Williamson? Uh, I, I don't quite understand the inconsistency there. So, uh, Brennan, I'm totally on the same uh, page as you, mate. We're surfing the same wave here at the moment. Brian from Hibiscus Coast. Good morning to you, Brian. Yeah, good morning, Ian. Uh, the previous caller has said quite a bit that I was going to mention, but about Kane. Uh, for some time, Ian, I've thought that it's Kane's way or the highway. He has so much power, I believe, in that uh, 
team and selection and that, that what he says goes and that's it. Uh, this medical thing that's uh, occurred, I've got a feeling, Ian, that uh, in the back of uh, his mind, that if he was to have failed tonight and not got many runs at all, that would also be a black mark about any prospective Indian uh, T20 team picking him up. And mm. he wants to play everything because in his own mind, Ian, Kane is the best at whatever. Uh, when he has interviews, he always sort of, you know, makes it a team thing. But uh, secretly, Ian... Kane is the best in his mind, and he is thinking about a contract uh, when when that uh, Indian Premier League starts again, because I know most people uh, enjoy money, and and Kane is no exception. He enjoys the, uh, the 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 rewards of him being in a team, but as the previous caller said, Ian. T20 is not his game, and he should be man enough to say, um, I'm going to step down from T20 team and concentrate on uh, one day's all the test matches, which he can, he can employ all his wristy shots uh, around the leg or down through gully and, you know, accumulate runs at the crease, but... T20, no. He has to be man enough to step down. Brian, uh, I like your sentiments, um, and uh, you've watched, obviously, a lot of cricket uh, over the years. Um, Kane has lost a, a very lucrative deal at uh, the Hyderabad because it's, uh, they're not going to renew it. I'm not quite sure um, you know, what will happen there. I spoke to Mike Hesson uh, a little bit. Uh, the other day about it, he says he'd possibly get picked up by someone else, but it won't be for anywhere near the same amount of money um, because the gloss has gone off, there's no doubt about it. And, and the, these guys move very quickly, these IPL uh, owners and, and dealers uh, because and agents because they, they realise they realize, um, you know, they have to move very, very quickly. And the game is moving quickly, uh, and, you know, and you can't bump the ball around anymore in the top three. You just, you simply can't, you can't have an insurance policy in the top three in case someone gets out early. You know, that may be a possibility in 50 over cricket. Certainly it's a possibility, it's a probability in test cricket that you have insurance policies and you're batting. But T20 cricket, you throw caution to the wind. And if the wind blows your way on one particular day, you'll win. And if it blows against you, you won't. And that is, um, that is also the same kind of importance that we should place uh, perhaps on T20 cricket because uh, it's a commonly used word, fickle, and that is the nature of the game. It's absolutely fickle. Uh, Brian, appreciate your call and your sentiments there. Bruce, uh, good morning to you, Bruce from Christchurch. Christchurch, can big Canterbury morning, often is in sport, isn't it? Yeah, mate, always listening, love your show, love to have you back, uh, Ian. Hey, uh, doing a bit of thinking, and uh, just, uh, I've got two points. One, um, golf, what outstanding, um, I hope we have a male and a female nominated for the Halbergs uh, next time round because, um, you know, between Stephen Alka and Foxy and, and the magnificent Lydia Coe, um, they certainly deserve an accolade for it. She is mm. um, qu 
quite a young lady. And, man, she's worked hard and gone through a lot of change and stuff, but she's blossomed again and absolutely leads the world. As a person, as a golfer, uh, representative for them, she is showing the way. Um, and, and may I say, a lot of it is around balance of life. Um, when, when you have, and you would know this, cricket's another one. When you have to perform individually, for a team or individually mainly, you've got to have a lot of things um, in line. And, and you have to be, uh, you can do a lot of planning and technique and all that stuff, but you've got to be balanced in life. And to go out and perform, you've got to be confident and you've got to be relaxed. And all that is, is important and it comes into line. Um, and I believe sportsmen, you can, you can analyse this everywhere. Sportsmen really perform and blossom when they have balance. And it's a fantastic result and lovely to see. Um, may I make a comment? The TAB opened a book on the women's LPGA events a few days before that starts. As soon as it starts, they close the book. And I mention it to New Zealand TAB every time, and they simply come out and say they don't have enough uh, space, they're too busy, and um, maybe they might improve that in the future with Lydia there. But um, My second point, women's sport... Incredible opportunity for, especially the rugby players, how well they've done. Just be careful what you ask for because um, I, I support they get a, a big, uh, you know, some improvement in their funding and their cash and their opportunities to create a, uh, that sort of um, work opportunity for young ladies to play rugby professionally. Just be careful because in 10 years' time, when their life saturated with pressure to play and play and play, um, and everything, everybody's on them, it's a whole different spectrum. Just ask the mm. All Blacks. Uh, so just be careful what you want. I believe look, look, you just uh, got to be patient. Bruce, that's an excellent point, and we've seen that um, in all sport, but in women's sport in, in particular, we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? And it's been such a big focus of uh, our last year or so in sport pressure on young women um, and support for young women and all of a sudden because they're their own performance the rugby players in particular have put themselves up on a very very high pedestal now uh, we look at uh, the Halberg Awards this year for New Zealand sport uh, our team of the year there's no doubt about that uh, Wayne Smith yep. coach of the year no doubt about that so um, you know but I go back to uh, the other point that uh, Lydia Coe um, is how many women play golf around the world? How many women try to be good at golf around the world? Um, millions. Absolutely millions. This girl, this young woman, I should say, because if you call her a girl, you'll get in trouble. This young woman and a glorious young woman that she is, is absolutely um, the best in the world. Now, if that doesn't deserve recognition in this country, I'll go he. She is, for me, without doubt, Sports Women of the Year right here and now, and I cannot see anyone surpassing her. I can't. If you are the best in the world in a sport like golf, which is so damned hard to play with all the variables, and particularly when you've come through, I won't call it a slump, but a, 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 a sort of a, a lower patch in her career where she's fought through it. Uh, the other thing about her is her demeanour and just what she is worth to golf and what she is worth to sport and women's sport in particular 
because she is absolutely brilliant with everyone surrounding the game. She's brilliant with the fans. She's brilliant with her co-players. She is brilliant with the media. And no one that I've ever heard of has, sp- has spoken um, ill of Lydia Ko, with exception to maybe the odd coach or caddy that uh, her and her uh, support group have got rid of. Apart from that, um, Lydia Ko has just been amazing. Now, if she does not get Sports Women of the Year, I'm not sure who, who should. Uh, uh, thanks very much for your calls, everyone. Bruce in particular, the Christchurch contingent, been uh, amazing this morning. Um, and Brian from Hibiscus Coast. Thank you, everyone. Enjoyed it. You're all in the draw, of course, to win that magnificent grill from Ava Living, and we'll keep you posted on that prior to uh, Christmas, of course. 9.22. And service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And some great texts come in this morning. We thank you for your calls as well, but uh, we'll read uh, those texts throughout the morning. A lot of opinion on uh, the Martin Guptill, Finn Allen uh, kind of thing coming going on. But uh, we should also not neglect, and we will not for one second, neglect the uh, Football World Cup, of course, which is on at the moment. Uh, and I will say that Wales have come back very strongly at the USA, but have uh, not failed to level, of course, the USA scoring earlier in the match. Kulisic driving through the heart of defence, slides it into Weir, shooting charge, and he's put it underneath Hennessy with the outside of his right foot, and the United States are on the board. Oh, that was swift, that was pretty. It's the United States 1, Wales nil, 35 and a half minutes gone. Mm, okay, uh, it's an interesting point that, uh, 1-0, but Wales have come back into the match in terms of possession and territory. Uh, I think in the first half they had uh, only 30% of possession. Pretty hard to dominate a match there. The United States had everything. They had all momentum going for them. But Wales have come back with shots on goal just recently. And so still uh, 22 minutes left of normal time in the match. A lot of trouble with the officials. The players not getting on with the officials. We see that throughout the World Cup. And you sometimes wonder why they call it the beautiful game when they spend so much time rolling around on the carpet and arguing with referees. But they do. Uh, and a, a quick, uh, very quick text here from uh, Todd that's come in and said, uh, some of the, I reckon Zoe uh, sadowski Sinnott has the inside running for Sportswoman of the Year over Lydia. Well, you may well be right, Todd. And uh, let's not forget what uh, Zoe has done for her sport uh, and the image she has portrayed as well. Actually, the... The peas in the pod, really, to be honest. Uh, they're just so damn good, the way they portray their sports and uh, they perceive uh, portray women's sport in particular. They've done so much to fear of them, and if they could probably split it down the middle, but they can't. You can't do that. You can't split an Alberg down the middle. But I, I, I will say that uh, that's a, val- a valid point, Todd. But if I was voting this morning, if I was a voting, I used to be a judge, actually, until they kicked me off. Uh, if, if I, would be, I would be prepared, I think, to give my vote. To Lydia, that's probably because I'm biased and probably because uh, Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott's uh, magnificent performance happened quite some time ago. Weird how we think like, like that, isn't it? That's uh, human nature. 9.30 here on SENZ. Very balanced approach to the news all the time from Aroha. It is 9.33 here on SENZ in the mornings, courtesy of our brand new show sponsor, Brent New Zealand. We thank them for their support. Uh, Garth Galloway joins us now um, on the morning of uh, a third T20 international between uh, India and 
Um, New Zealand, of course, I, I hasten to say third, but I also hasten to say that the first one was rained out. So this is a chance for the Black Caps to square the series. They're going to do it without their captain, Kane Williamson, who was out on medical leave by the sound of it, um, which is uh, interesting in itself. But uh, Garth Galloway joins us. Um, good morning to you, Garth. I haven't spoken to you for a long time. Uh, thanks for joining the show. Nice to be with you, Smithy. What's medical leave? Uh, yes, I know. Um, and someone has called in this morning saying, if you're captain of your uh, national team to play against India, uh, how do you take medical leave on the day that you've got a very important game against India? But uh, that is the modern world, Garth, as we well know it. Um, and things uh, things change and priorities uh, tend to change these days. But uh, overall, uh, and I'll talk about Kane Williamson very shortly, um, the Black Caps uh, in the last uh, two, well, two, uh, two months, let's talk, specifically about T20 cricket. Have you seen it? Um, I, I think they've really struggled. I mean, I think they did well to get through to the semi-final. Uh, Smithy, you, you would say that that's a success, I guess. But uh, And that first game against Australia was wonderful. But it feels like a long time ago. And, it, mm. you know, they came out blazing. They did very well. But then they performed very poorly against England and they didn't fire in the, in the semi-final against Pakistan, as you know. So... Um, for me, you know, they're struggling. And uh, I think we saw it again the other night uh, against India, where India was so dominant and so good. And I felt that when uh, Surya Kumar started to go, uh, we really didn't have the answers. I thought, you know, simple things from the bowlers, Ferguson, Milne & Co., uh, Yorkers, <laughs> pouncers. It was like, um, you know, all the simple stuff went out of the out of the bag in a way. Um you know, the thing I've been talking to to Mark Watson and others about, Ian, is that, you know, I just, I think we, you know, the experiment with Alan and the way that they are wanting him to play is, is putting a lot of pressure on everyone and it's creating the issues with Williamson, I think, who, who's caught between do I go and don't I. You know, in the last um, eight innings, he hasn't batted through the power play. He hasn't done particularly well except against Australia, you know, against the major nations. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at his figures, 24 matches, 16 of them have been against Minnows, uh, 8 against Bangladesh, and then, of course, Scotland, Netherlands and Ireland. So his figures flattered to deceive. And I, and I can't understand, really, why they're just uh, letting him go out there and slog. I, I look, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I've got a question here, and I, I, I was just going to say, is it a, the, the problems we're having in the last uh, six weeks, seven weeks, Garth, is it, a, is it a personnel problem or is it an attitudinal problem or is it a bit of both? Um, I, look, I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I'd be really interested to sit down in a room with Gary Stead and Kane Williamson and see how they're getting on. I, I almost feel like there's a, there's a tension there. There's something that's not quite right. I might be wrong. I'm just looking, looking in from the outside as we all do. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's very hard to read. And, um, but, but I don't think that uh, Kane should, you know, my, my feeling is his time has come as, as the white ball captain. You then, of course, have to ask yourself who's going to take over. But I feel like New Zealand, and we see it time and time again at World Cups in where we get into the semifinals and, and perform pretty well at that stage. We're not good enough just to keep doing the same thing the whole time. And I feel like under mm. Kane, that that's what New Zealand does. We have to take risks. We have to be more, you know, risk averse. And, and when I see that, we're, and we're the only side in that T20 World Cup that, that, that bowled just five bowlers. I mean, that's an incredible mm. statistic. <laughs> and I don't think it means that we should be really happy with our bowling. I think it just means that we're in a rut. Um, and so poor old Nisham comes on the other day, bowls one over for nine. And you're going to ask a lot of him in, in the series against India. And he's had no no play with the ball. So, 
I, you know, I, I just feel when I, and I also hark back and, and, and transfer the, the discussion to test cricket and look at AJS Patel taking 14 wickets in that test, you know, in 2001. He's bowled two overs in test cricket since then. So there's, there's just too, there's just so much conservatism in, in that setup, I think, and it's costing us. And it will get much harder in the future, Ian, when we see Bolt disappearing. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Williamson. Southie will probably play more T20 cricket. It's going to get harder rather than easier. Yeah, we, we got a taste of that the other night, didn't we? Life without Trent Bolt. Boy, did we what? And then, and then you saw, and I thought this was this was a really interesting thing, and you would have picked it up. Um, you know, then we saw Bhubaneswar uh, Kumar come on and Ashdi Singh, and of course, and, and Suraj, and they all moved the ball prodigiously. You know, the swing that they were able to get in the second innings, uh, where I thought New Zealand had the pick of the conditions, um, and you compare that to Milne and Ferguson, who are different types of bowler. Uh, but really, you know, they moved the ball around so much, and I thought Bolt would have been formidable in that match uh, at Mount Monganui. Well, the thing uh, for me, Garth, is that I'm not quite sure you can play both Ferguson and Milne together because they're, they're like forces for me. And if you if you get used to one, you get used to the other, and, and that is exactly what uh, uh, what Yadav did the other night. I mean, uh, that's an innings out of the box. Let's, you, know, you know, I've watched a lot of cricket. That is an innings out of the box. That's exceptional hitting, exceptional striking. Uh, but there are quite a few of those in the world now. Yeah, there are. I mean, it was, and, and 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 even he said that it was one of the great, you know, one of his best innings. And he looks at it, and, and I like the comment that he made that sometimes when he looks at the highlights, he surprises himself. It reminded me, and I've had the joy of just watching some highlights this morning before I spoke to you and listening to your commentary of of, um, of a different sort of innings, but similarly skillful. McCullum against Australia at um, AMI Stadium, Lancaster Park in Christchurch, mm. February 2010, when he scored 116 not out. 12 fours and eight sixes, and that's the game you know where he ran Tate on a number of occasions, bowling at 150 k's. And you know it, you, you will get these innings; um, they're, they're they're remarkable. And I do think that his Yadav's innings was very special. But again, I just felt that we got stuck in the headlights and we didn't have a plan. And as I said, I I, I was sort of yelling at the TV, "Look, Yorkers, <laughs> bouncers, mm-hmm. can we just go back to the usual?" I just felt that Milne and and, um, and Ferguson and Co just ran in and tried to bowl as fast as they could, and that's not going to be an answer in this game. Right. Let's uh, look at um, this batting order now. The batting order without Kane Williamson, which is a possibility going forward. Uh, we, we've just got to give Phillips an opportunity um, and, you know, with power play situations, don't we? We've just simply got to. Yeah, we do. I mean, he's been he's been the find, hasn't he? And um, also, I think, you know, it's just, uh, it, I digress, but he adds a bit of colour, doesn't he? And, and we need personalities in the game in to make it interesting and, and for people to, to follow and love it. He does have to get a go. I think Williamson, you know, the, the problem is that Williamson is coming in and he's not going to come in tonight, obviously, but he's he's coming in under a lot of pressure because Alan's getting out in the first or second over. That, that just doesn't work. So, um, yep, let's get Phillips up. Let's get him at three tonight and, and get him in early. But, but again, I think they should be saying to Alan, you've got to get through the power play. Change your game, please. Um, you know, we need to see more of you. Well, he's got to be selective. Uh, I mean, and, you know, uh, he's also, he's very young. This is this thing that gets me is this, we're putting this pressure on this on this young man who, you know, hasn't had the uh, ability yet to, to think himself uh, through uh, situations in international cricket. And the longer he plays, Garth, as you and I well know, the longer he plays, 
the more homework will be done on Fern Allen. Um, and yep. uh, win, win, lose, or draw, fail or succeed, the more homework will be done on him. And he is going to, like every other sports person in the world who comes under scrutiny, going to have to make adjustments. Um, and this is very, very early on in his career. And for Gary Stead to continually say, he's our man going through to the 50-over World Cup, good God, that's a year away. Yeah, I think it's totally wrong. Uh, I disagree with it, um, you know, and, and I do feel sorry for him. You know, if you look at where, he, I mean, he's, he's ranked 46th in the world as a T, T20 batsman, and yet, you know, a lot of the, uh, the, the the people talking about the game are talking about him like he's, a you know, a superstar. And that's why I've just mentioned that, you know, that eight of his 24 games have been against Bangladesh and another eight against absolute minnows. Um, and I do think he's getting put under far too much pressure. I mean, the spotlight should be on Conway, um, Williamson, Phillips as well, and just let Allen get in there and bat um, as much as you can in a T20 game. I know it's it's, it's not as easy as, as that, but uh, but to, to throw all of your eggs in that basket this early and this far out, I, I just think it's crazy. And uh, I also think you know that Martin Guttall may well be looking on thinking, crikey, um, this is what I've been replaced for. And that's tough. And, and it does look very much like he's been discarded. The other thing um, I wonder about, too, is uh, pressure on players in the Black Caps at the moment. Do you see, uh, and it's a bit hard at the moment because we haven't gone through our Super Smash season yet. We're talking specifically about white ball cricket here, Garth. But do you have you seen pressure? Have you seen pressure for places? That's an excellent point. And the answer is, and you know the answer, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, and and that is, that, that's the problem. So if you look at the next uh, people, because again, it's very easy to say that people should be replaced. But as you know, you have to then say, well, who's going to come in? And if you look at the people waiting in the wings, um, I suppose you've got Bracewell, uh, Chapman will get a go tonight. I think th- that will be very interesting because I think people will feel then you know you'll see in losing Williamson no matter how he's playing um, you lose a lot I think in terms of batting ability you've then got Guptill and it looks like they've discarded him Um, you know do they look at someone like Henry Nichols Uh, not a great record only played you know 10 T20s Tickner's there uh, in in terms of the bowling there doesn't seem to be a lot of pressure in and I think that speaks Mm -hmm. to the depth in the game in New Zealand and I've been talking about that for a while that's why I think it's going to get harder rather than easier. We have to take risks and uh, and be more adventurous. And the other thing, of course, to, to raise the standard of cricket in this country domestically, you have to have the better players playing uh, to bring the best out of people, to test other people. Um, and what's uh, going to happen even more so now is a drift towards the leagues. Uh, now, in, uh, my understanding is, Garth, there's at least four leagues going to be played throughout January and February, and that can coincide with uh, Super Smash cricket in this country. So where are they going to go, our guys? You know the answer to that. Well, they're going to go overseas, and, and the mm. Super Smash, unfortunately, is, um, is, 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 I think, probably the weakest T- T20 league in the world. I mean, it's not... You know, there are very few or no overseas players who come and play in it because there's no money in it. And I do feel for New Zealand cricket in that regard. It's incredibly hard with, you know, the big bash going on. And um, at the same time, and everything being, uh, you know, the, the, the money that they're able to pay pay those players. But that's going to make our competition even weaker, Ian. And, and that's a real concern. Um, but it's tough for New Zealand cricket. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's one thing I think is really difficult. 
So, yeah, not easy, I have to say. Right, and, and in, in summary too, one of the other aspects is uh, you, you talk about uh, perhaps Kane uh, leaving the white ball form of the game. His position in Test cricket is undoubted. He is a superstar there, we know that. Um, but what about the coaching side of things? Do, do we have to perhaps depart away from one one fits all? I wouldn't mind that actually, and, and now might be a good time to do it. Um, where you know, Stead, I think you, if if you did do that, then you'd probably keep Stead on with the test team, wouldn't you? And um, mm. and bring someone else in in relation to the white ball stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's got merit. I think particularly if you were going to change the captaincy, if that was a thought, then you'd do that. Um, I mean, I, I think Williamson is a superstar. He's a brilliant player, as you say, and and his one day record is very good as well. And so is his T20 record. I mean, he's striking at 116, 117 or, or whatever. So he's not in the absolute top echelons, but he's pretty damn good by New Zealand standards. And he will be hard to replace. Um, but yeah, I, I like the idea of, of, of bringing in another coach. I think it's a really good idea and it could freshen things up and also enable even more specialisation, which I think we probably need. I think it's all about the money, Garth, as you well know, uh, whether we, we can afford someone from overseas or whether we can't. Hey, mate, uh, great well, to catch up with you. And... No, no, they, <laughs> they don't. don't. The <laughs> no, that's true. That's true indeed. <laughs> hey, Garth, great to catch up with you. Hope uh, things are well with you and uh, everything's safe and sound, and uh, we'll catch up again uh, shortly. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Lovely to talk to you. Cheers. cheers. Yeah, cheers. Garth Galloway there, noted broadcaster of uh, cricket, of course, in this country. With some fairly honest uh, review uh, words there in review, and um, I think uh, you agree with them. Uh, judging by the texts that are coming in, I think uh, pretty much you uh, agree with pretty much everything that Garth Galloway just said, which is uh, great. Nine forty-seven here on SCNZ. Back shortly. You succeed in your field, summer or winter. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Gareth Bale's fouled. The Oracle next to me, David Choate. Gareth Bale has won a penalty for Wales. The number 11, proudly on the back. He approaches. He strikes it into the back of the net. High above Turner. It's a goal 64 years in the making. Wales level. Wales won. The United States won. 82 minutes played. 64 years in the making. We've got to talk uh, to uh, uh, McCarty about that after 11 o'clock. We will. What a line that is. Hey, look, it's uh, one all still between the USA and Wales. Uh, they're playing nine minutes, believe it or not, of extra time. They're two minutes 53 into that. Nine minutes of extra time. So uh, that is the situation there. And we've got another important thing to talk about here. Uh, it's a thing called a multi because I'm on a I'm on a heater here. If this stays a draw, uh, uh, I'm on a heater. We'll come back very shortly with the details of that. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole know when the Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 
Right, we got one up yesterday, folks. I was uh, crying about it a wee bit early, but uh, here we go. We've got... Um, uh, uh, what did we get? To? Actually, I've got to get the details of that, actually. We got... Um, oh, come back to me. Where is it? Oh, I've got to boast about it. Anyway, we'll talk about today's one. Um, Mexico against Poland. It's a draw. Um, I'm going for that in the early hours of tomorrow morning. Mexico against Poland. It's a draw. Three dollars. Uh, 49ers to beat uh, Arizona, and uh, that's in, of course... Uh, American football, and that is the Monday night football game. It's a buck twenty-five, and the Indiana Pacers to beat the Orlando Magic at a dollar thirty-six. The value is, of course, in the draw between Mexico and Poland, as it was in the draw between the USA and Wales, which is uh, pretty much uh, uh, about to eventuate. They are into the tenth minute now of nine minutes added on, and time added on. Work out that if you can, and it is one all. Uh, we're going to have baseball after the break. Baseball. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hey, links me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back, let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame, cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Take me out to the ballpark, part of the seventh inning stretch uh, in the United States when it comes to uh, baseball, of course. Um, one of the great things of the past, one of the great traditions. Well, the baseball season now has officially arrived back in New Zealand. The Auckland Tuatara are back in the Australian Baseball League after a couple of years away due to the pandemic. Started the season on the road for the past two weeks, but this weekend they'll look to suit up against the Sydney Blue Sox at North Harbour Stadium. Uh, it's an event over a thousand days in the making, and on the line with us now is uh, Auckland Tuatara manager Steve Mintz. Good morning to you, Steve. Thanks for your time. Hey man, how we going? How we going? We're going good. We're going good. We understand uh, because of travel uh, problems that you haven't actually been to the stadium, but it sounds like it's uh, it's ready for you. It's up and running. Yeah, they've uh, they've done some work over there to get everything ready, and um, now we, now we just need some breaks in the rain so we can uh, so we can get a get a game off on Friday night. I look forward to that. Uh, it's a series, of course, against the Sydney Blue Stocks. You've already had uh, two series. Um, came away with one win in the opening series against Brisbane. You got three out of four, though, uh, against Canberra. So you're four and four coming home. How have you felt the first uh, week or so has gone? Yeah, we um, uh, Brisbane, we were a little disappointed. Uh, we felt like we gave a couple of games away there. Um, but we talked and we addressed some issues with uh, walks and um, some of the we we left a ton of runners on base in Brisbane. Just felt like we were trying to do a little too much, and then we uh, we we corrected a, f- a couple of those things uh, at the Canberra series, and uh, we were able to uh, actually, other than the one day, uh, we were able to keep a pretty good offense at bay for three of those games, and uh, and our pitching uh, was was very good, um, uh, giving us a chance to get leads and hold it, and. Um, so yeah, we're we're pretty excited uh, going on the road, you know, for 12 days or whatever it was, and being able to come back 500. Uh, you know, we're not disappointed in that, but we, like I said, we felt like we let a couple of games get away from us in Brisbane that we possibly could have won. 
So early days, uh, of course, uh, Steve, as we, we look at this, but are you happy now with the, the ball the bullpen you've been able to assemble, your pitching staff? Yeah, we um some of the some of the back end stuff that we have, um, we're happy with it. Um some of our starters we're still trying to get them stretched out and try to figure out, you know, if that's the way we want to go with it and then because uh, we think a little differently when we come home because we got the seven innings games here. Um so uh, we're, you know, we're not so concerned with starters, you know, possibly having to go four, five, six innings, you know, um, because we've got, you know, we've got arms in the pen that we trust, you know, that can go out and throw a couple innings here, a couple innings there. So um, we're still trying to put it together. And then uh, like this weekend, we'll play three days as opposed to four. And then how you manage your pitching throughout that to to make sure that you're um, giving yourself the best opportunity to win. So um, we're we're still we're still looking at it, piecing it together, trying to figure out how we want to do it. You know, we got eight rounds left, so um, whatever we got to do to uh, figure out how to put ourselves in position to get in those playoffs. Ideally, uh, Steve, uh, how much rest do you give a starter? Um, most of the time, our starters um, they'll they'll start one once a week. You know, so uh, if a guy throws on. Uh, you know, say a Thursday, then he'll probably throw the next Thursday. Um, and then like our, our Sunday guy, Murata, um, he's, he, he's a little elder than the most around here. So we make sure we give him as much rest as we can. So, um, just depends on the guy and some of the, some of the Asian pitchers we got from Taiwan and Japan, uh, they're able to uh, bounce back a little bit better than, uh, some of the other ones. And then, We've got two or three guys that we can throw every day if we need to, you know, but we haven't had to uh, do that just yet. 52 hits over the four games last weekend suggest that mm. uh, the batting lineup is performing pretty strongly all the way down. Yeah, and I tell you, um, I can't uh, give Darren Bragg enough credit um, what he does. Uh, I, I bring him a group in here and then he gets to work, you know, and uh, the things that he does uh, for our ball team uh, – um, you, I mean, you can't, you, you can't put a price tag on it. Um, but he's got these guys, you know, believing in, you know, what he's trying to do. And he even made the comment the other day about, you know, the group and the, the work that they put in, you know, like in the cages and, and when we're doing our batting practice and stuff and, you know, trying to take into the game, the things that he's teaching them. And I tell you what, there's, a. There's some young and even some of the young Kiwi hitters, you know, that are in affiliated baseball, but they get to hear from a, you know, a major league mind that, you know, that's been there and done it at the highest level. But the things that uh, Darren Bragg does for those hitters and the teaching and all that stuff is just um, it, it it makes my life a whole lot easier as the manager. I can tell you that. Well, if the third discipline, we've talked the pitching and we've talked the batting. Of course, the other thing is the fielding side of things. Uh, how's mm. the unit coming together there? Good. We're uh, in this league. If you can, if you can limit your walks and you can catch the ball and throw it where it needs to be, um, you're going to have an opportunity. And uh, we're we're super happy with our defense. Uh, we have pieces that we can move around. Um, I've got the infielders. All of them can pretty much play any spot in the infield. And then I've actually got like Biggers. He's played left field every day, but I can bring him in to play second, short, or third. Um, so. Uh, Clayton Campbell can catch. He can go to first base for us. Uh, Jack Berry can play first and go in the outfield. So we, we have some moving parts that we can uh, move guys around 
And at this point, I tell you, we, we've been very happy with our defense uh, on the dirt and in the outfield. Statements. The other aspect of uh, high-performance sport these days is the, the mental side of things, uh, recovering mm-hmm. and, and getting staying up at a certain level. And you've brought uh, Frank Fister in uh, for this particular purpose. How's that going? Yeah, it's going it's going well. Uh, just uh, the knowledge, you know, uh, uh, Bragg's actually uh, coached uh, uh, Fister when he was playing. And then uh, just the knowledge that Frank's, you know, gathered over – over over the years and then from you know from the whatever the uh, peak performance mental performance side of baseball you know just being able to to be there and um help these guys along you know when they're struggling or whatever and then you know we've even got uh, uh pandy also that helps us you know with our player wellness um and the things you know if they you know they're missing home or they need to go do this or they need to go that you know we've got we've got her in place to be able to help our players too um so and we feel like we've you know we try to give these guys everything they're coming a long way from home and missing thanksgiving missing christmas you know and all the things that goes with coming over and being a part of the tuatar and we just try to make sure that we make things available to them if they need them um and i think that's what we've done with our staff this year Steve, the other thing, of course, uh, you've had to do, uh, I suppose, is to play a little bit of catch-up here because uh, of the fact that uh, you've had, you've had uh, two years out of it because of the pandemic. Do you feel as if you're playing catch-up or you feel as if you're back? No, no, I, th- I think we're back. You know, going going into Brisbane, you know, it was, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's the real thing. You know, you're in the ABL, you're playing again. Um, and I think, you know, the guys, they, they understand it's a – I mean, it's a short run. I mean, you think about 40 games, you know, over 10 weeks and it's a, I think somebody said it the other day. It's a, it's a, it's a short season, but it's a long season, you know, and um, with us being in New Zealand, you know, the, the, the extra travel that we do that the other teams don't have to do and um, just going back and forth, you know, put, puts a little more, you know, wear on us, but um, the guys, you know, they understand it and, you know, what it is that we have to do to continue to be successful and not going to lie to guys. They're, they're, they're just so ready to, to come here and, and get in front of their fans and, and run out on the field and, you know, show New Zealand, you know, exactly what we've assembled. You know, they've seen it on the, heard it on the radio, seen it, you know, if they've been able to watch some of the games on demand or whatever, you know, but being able to sit at North Harbor and, and, and watch your side run out on the, to the field um, you know, that's what it's all about, and we're, we're super excited for this weekend to get going. So let's uh, – can we look at the format for the, for this weekend? Uh, what can your fans mm. expect to see and, and, you know, the timings, et cetera? Um, yeah, we'll go 7, 7 o'clock uh, Friday night, and then we play a doubleheader on Saturday. The first game starts at 3, and the second one will start around 7. And then we play on Sunday at 11 o'clock uh, a.m. in the morning. So – um, and the only thing I can tell the fans is that, you know, we're, we, we, we play a, we play a good brand of baseball. Um, we're going to, you know, put our pitchers out there, put our fielders out there. Hopefully we're going to score runs. Um, but we're going to make it exciting. Um, we're right there, uh, you know, at the edge of the stand so the, the fans can see us and, you know, be a part of what we're doing. And uh, we we hope to put the best product that we can out there every single night for our fans, and uh, we we hope that place is filled up Friday night, you know, to come out and get behind the tour. Well, Steve, um, 
What about the scouting side of things? You're up against the Sydney Blue Sox. What what do you know about them? What can the fans expect from these four games? Um, they have uh, they, they've got uh, a lot of Australians. I think that they were able to to grab up some affiliated players late. Uh, their their manager Tony Harris, uh, uh, aka Feathers, um, is a you know he's an Aussie and uh, works with the Pirates. Uh, I think they got some stuff uh, some of their players in a little later than uh, everybody else. Um, but they've had, you know, they've had a tough, a tough two weeks. Uh, they went to camera and got swept and Brisbane took three out of four from them this past weekend. Um, but we're, you know, we'll, we'll respect, uh, their team. Uh, and we know that we have to get ready. Um, they've got a couple of arms, you know, uh, um, that, uh, will be a little challenging for us. Um, but we feel that we're up for the task, but, um, even though their record says one thing, uh, when they get here, we, we treat them just like we do every other team, um, trying to make sure we're as prepared as we can be um, with the information that we can get, uh, well, whether it's off the, off the Internet or people that we know that's been watching them play. Um, so we'll, we'll use everything that we can to try to take every advantage that we can against that team because we, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to take them lightly. We, we need to take care of our business, uh, especially at home. Steve, it's Tuesday morning, obviously, here. Uh, Friday night, 7 o'clock is uh, the first encounter you've got. Uh, I just wonder, have you, have you decided on your starting pitcher for Friday night, or you, or you still got that under wraps? Um, we're, uh, we, I think we're pretty close. Uh, I'm not, not comfortable saying it just yet. Uh, Robbie was working, uh, our pitching coach, Robin Price, he was working on a couple more things last night, um, just trying to piece it together. Because, like I said, we went from four days to three days, and we're trying to make sure that we've, um, got it spaced out enough because we've got you know four or five people that can start um but seven innings you know we're trying to piece it together um where where we make sure that we know we got plenty of coverage for the three days and and like i said to to put ourselves in the best opportunities to win steve uh, i know you as you said you haven't had the opportunity to actually get out to the ballpark yet and have a, a close look at it but by and large is it is north harbour stadium a hitter's stadium or not um, I, th- I think so. Yeah, obviously, it depends on the wind. If 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 the wind's blowing like it was over in Geelong over the weekend, I think they hit twelve or thirteen home runs in that one game. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I I think our hitters once they you know once they get to get in there and 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 fill it out. Um, I I think it it votes well for uh hitters and pitchers. You know, depending on you know which which way the wind's coming. Uh, but uh. The one thing I can say, I know, I know that we enjoy playing on it. Um, I know it's, it's, you know, a thousand days or whatever we're saying it is, you know, but um, uh, it's it, it's a fun place to play. Um, the, the we have, you know, hands down the, the the best field in the league. I mean, it's it's league wide. Everybody knows it. Um, everybody wants to come across uh, to to New Zealand to play. Um, but that's the that's the thing we want. We want to be able to get our guys out there, let them get acclimated to to that field, and um, and and then let them decide for themselves. You know, um, but if we do what we're supposed to do at the plate um, with the stuff that uh, Darren Bragg's giving these guys, um, I, I think we'll be fine in uh, any ballpark on most days. So. <laughs> Steve, great to have uh, baseball back in the country uh, this weekend. Great to have you back in the country as well, and thanks very much for your time this morning. Good start to the season. Uh, Look forward to the rest of it. Cheers, mate. Thank you.
Yeah, Steve Mintz there, of course, uh, the manager of the Auckland Tuatara. And uh, yes, folks, uh, four opportunities this weekend to get out to North Harbour Stadium to see them. Uh, and uh, as you heard, Friday night around 7 o'clock, and then you've got the double header on uh, Saturday afternoon into the evening, and then the early start of 11 o'clock on Sunday. So ample opportunity for baseball fans or uh, people that want to know a wee bit more about baseball to pop on down and uh, have a look at uh, our very own club, our very own franchise, the Auckland Tuatara, who look like uh, they're a pretty exciting proposition this year. You're listening to SENZ in the mornings in association with Brant New Zealand. Get out and buy yourself a John Deere tractor this morning. Go on, why not be a devil? It is 10.18, we'll have a panel next. You succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk to me, yeah. Panel this morning consisting of Ben Strang and Hamish Bidwell, both the experienced uh, panellists. And uh, Hamish Bidwell, if I can begin with you today, uh, as you look out your window the same as me, I imagine you're seeing quite a nice blue sky day here in Hawke's Bay for the cricket. But I have looked on the app, the weather app, um, Hamish, and there is uh, a possibility of some rain later. Uh, and that just goes with cricket in Hawke's Bay, doesn't it? Yeah, well, Blair Furlong always called himself the farmer's friend and looks like Lance Hamilton's picked up the baton um, as far as CD cricket and organising games goes. Yeah, I'm stuck sweltering in my car here in Hastings. Not a cloud in the sky. Um, slightly underwhelmed by My son's going with a few of his mates and his favourite player is Rohit Sharma. And I've taken him to games in Wellington, test and white ball. Sharma didn't play either of those for India. So he says to me, Sharma playing? No. Carl Rahul? No. Yeah, well, Coley? No. <laughs> what is it? No. no. So uh, I think a rain out might be a good result for the kids because I think they're going to be slightly underwhelmed by what they see. And if I was going to watch the game, and I probably won't, um, the thing I'd like to see is someone give Finnellan licence to bat the overs. Um, he's sort of got the responsibility for generating the entire strike rate while everyone else knocks it round. And in the infancy of his career, I think we're setting him up to fail. So, uh, yeah, I think New Zealand need to think about how they're configuring their order what sort of ambition they've got in terms of how they're going to generate a strike rate and, and perhaps alleviate some of the pressure on that guy. It's a good point, actually, Hamish. It's almost as if we're making the great saviour, uh, Van Allen, and he, he's hardly even l- laced up a boot. No, he's just learning how to play. But because no one else is generating a strike rate, he's not even just being given the opportunity to bat. He's responsible for, for getting the innings underway entirely while others sort of play within themselves or, or their limitations. And so... We either get players in there who can play some more shots or we change our mentality. I, I don't know what Guptill's done not to get a, a game anymore. I, I, I'm not sure that Tim Seifert's the worst player I've ever seen in my life, but we seem to have a lot of nudges and nerdlers and just say to to, uh, to, to Alan and to a lesser degree Phillips, you have to score the runs at a strike rate because the rest of us aren't going to even try. Mm. That's, a, that's what it is looking at uh, from the outside looking in. There's no doubt about it. Uh, ben, yeah, it's been... Uh, an underwhelming um, sort of last two weeks for the Black Caps after such a brilliant performance against Australia in the T20 World Cup. You thought, man, they have set a standard here uh, and they haven't maintained it. Yeah, it's uh, that was sort of... <laughs> it came out of the blue, that performance, didn't it? Because I, I don't know if we were expecting the Black Caps to, to make the semi-finals to, to escape the group, but that was just one of the great sort of one day of, well, you know, white ball performances for New Zealand that um, absolutely came out of the blue. I, I think that comment by Hamish is absolutely bang on about Finn Allen. I think 
telling him that he can bat you know more time his natural strike rate is going to be extremely high he doesn't have to take extra risk trying to bat at a 200 strike rate or 250 strike rate i think that's a, a really good point and i am interested in seeing how they play without kane williamson uh tonight mm. if they play uh because even though he was the top scorer in that last match 61 or 52 balls is pretty pedestrian in 2020 cricket and when you look at Surya Kumar Yadav, he faced one fewer ball and scored 50 extra runs, and that's almost the difference there. I think um, it'll be interesting if somebody can come in and just naturally score at a higher strike rate because it's absolutely needed. When when Kane and and uh, Devin Conway bat together, for instance, that can be sort of a <laughs> it's it's not good. It can be a bit of a disaster if they're both trying to noodle it round and and uh, and can't find singles. The other thing, uh, Hamish Bidwell, we discovered the other night when we were under siege uh, by uh, Kumar, which was uh, Yadav, I should say, which was an outstanding innings. Uh, no Trent Bolt. We've got to get used to that too at times. Yeah, and Southie's obviously towards the, the end of his career as well, and we sort of decided that five bowlers is the magic number, by and large. Um, yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know what the options are. Like, do we want to play on dead wickets and then give guys like Michael Bracewell lots of overs and try and deny teams that way? Like, I'm not sure that we have the firepower without Bolt to, to get people out. So do we just play on dead wickets and, and load our team up with with spinners and just, just try and, you know, make it like the middle of a 50-over a match? I don't know. But Bolt, what a player. I mean, it's... His value was underlined at the World Cup. He was outstanding, just astonishingly good. And it pains me that we won't see him or are unlikely to see him in test cricket because he's just such a great practitioner of the art of swing bowling. And, uh, yeah, it, I think we should enjoy him when we can see him because we may not see much more often. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, one of the other people that's been uh, in the headlines uh, for rugby in New Zealand is uh, Scott Razor-Roberts and Ben Strang. And, uh, now we're seeing headlines that saying he's one of three coaches in the mix uh, for the uh, English job, high-profile job after Eddie Jones, and that, of course, including Ronan Ogawa, Steve Borthwick, and himself. Razor Robertson, how do you read this? Uh, I think it makes absolute sense. I, I think if I was Scott Robertson, I would absolutely be wanting to, to take that job and head overseas. Uh, he seems to be one of the hottest coaching properties in world rugby at the moment, unless you're a New Zealand rugby you know, board member or, or executive. So uh, it makes sense. He said that he wants to win a World Cup with New Zealand and with another team, and England would give him an exceptional opportunity to do that, and it just would not surprise me whatsoever if he went and did it. All right, what about uh, you, Hamish? Would you, you wouldn't uh, begrudge him a chance there, would you? No, he deserves to be coaching an elite team in Test Rugby, and I would wish him every success at that. Um if I were England, I'd probably, just for political reasons, be thinking of Borthwick. I, I think probably after Eddie Jones, it wouldn't be a, an imprudent idea for them to, to go with a local. Um, I think that's potentially a black mark against Robertson. Um, you know, he is, and he's a, an acquired taste. He is quirky. He is unusual. He does things differently. And I don't know if that would necessarily fit the mould in England, depending on what they want to do. They may want to rip it up. They may feel that they've had enough of Jones. They want someone who's a bit more bright and breezy, but I would have thought politically an English coach would be more up their street at this time. Hamish Budwell with us this morning uh, as, uh, as Ben Strang, and uh, we will be back very, very shortly. Uh, we'll just have to take a quick news break with Araha. Plenty more to talk about, including golf, 
and of course uh, the Football World Cup underway. Big opinions, the panel. Hamish Pidwell and Ben String with us uh, this morning as we look at the various issues on the sporting front and uh, Hamish Pidwell yesterday morning uh, I watched with absolute delight as Lydia Coe held her nerve and uh, went on to uh, to win the, the season ending uh, tour championship, got a couple of million bucks for it, uh, but where does Lydia Coe sit with you um, if you're a voter on the Hall of uh, on the Halberg Awards this year? Um, against the, the likes of Zoe, maybe Zoe, Zoe Sadisky Sinnott? Uh, I'm not a big awards man, um, so I don't necessarily care. I think that we have we should celebrate people for their achievements, not put them against one another. Um, tell you what, it's a hell of a hot bar for the Golf Hall of Fame, isn't it? I mean, what more does a woman have to do? She's still got to accumulate a couple more points to, this is Lydia Coe I'm talking about, to, um, mm. to, to achieve Hall of Fame status. Like, what a career, and to have won this tournament was it eight years after the first time she won it? I think probably two or three years ago we were looking, we were thinking we were looking at the decline of Co and perhaps a move towards an early retirement. But the way she's um, remained relevant, remained competitive in an era where not quite to the same degree as the men, but certainly women are, there's an emphasis on club head speed and distance off the tee and that kind of stuff. And she's not long, but she's so consistent, um, magnificent temperament. Uh, it's been one of the great sporting years for her. And I, I think allied to what Grant Fox is doing and what Stephen Elk has done, um, I think it's a, it's, I can't think of a better year for New Zealand golf. Obviously, um, Campbell winning the World Match play in the US Open in the same year was, was, was phenomenal. But I think for consistency mm. and for relevance and for putting this country on the golfing map, I, I, I can't think of any better. Talk about the golfing map too, uh, Ben String. You can add Ryan Fox to that. You can add... Uh, Stephen Elker to that as three individuals who have had exceptional years. It's a it's a golden year for New Zealand golf, surely. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. I I, I don't you know I can't remember a year ever like it. I mean, we've obviously had our greats over over the over time. You know, your Bob Charles and like Hamish said, Michael Campbell in two thousand five having a stunning year. But to have three golfers who seem to be at the absolute top of their game. And in different ways as well, the, you know, for Coda be basically a comeback story after we thought that, you know, the, the career was essentially winding down a couple of years back is, is quite phenomenal. Stephen Alka to go from very mediocre on, on tour to, to being a superstar in the, uh, in the senior ranks is pretty amazing. And then Ryan Fox is just building and building and building and, and looks like he could cement himself in the top 25 of the world golf rankings. It's it's amazing to watch. And with Lydia Coe, I mean, she says she's going to retire at, at 30, so a, a bit like Trent Bolt, I guess we've just got to enjoy it while it lasts. Well, I mean, for instance, uh, the thing about her, Ben, is that uh, we knew uh, Lydia Coe as an 11-year-old golfing sensation. 11-year-old golfing sensation. She's been around now on the uh, LPGA Tour for quite some time, but we feel as if we know her so well because we've seen her development, and the next time we see her play is as a married woman. I mean, her life's unfolded in front of us at a golf club. And yeah, I, I think that's um, that's that is quite remarkable. And I think what has endeared her to Kiwis, especially in recent times, and, and probably more so around the world than we would realise, is her honesty and you know how refreshing it is to hear her speak about. Uh, the the troubles that she's had uh, you know she talked uh, quite openly about having period pain during a tournament these sorts of things are, are sort of breakthrough 
uh, things to be talking about as an athlete, and I think that has helped cement her place in in, in at least our sporting, uh, you know, uh, landscape. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Um, and cementing, talking about that on that subject, uh, Hamish Bidwell, we can talk about uh, the Black Ferns, of course, who were recognised um, in the World Rugby Awards. But uh, uh, the next headline I read would just concerned me a wee bit because um, having established uh, what they have done in this country for women's rugby in particular, uh, a whole host of them um, will not be available for Super Rugby or Picky, which I find uh, is, a, is a bit of a shame. I couldn't agree with you more, Ian. Um, it just to me, it speaks of the indifference or the lip service that NZR treat uh, our female athletes with, and also the public to that degree. Like we want to see these people playing, you know. We don't want the season to start in the Levin domain. With all due respect to Levin, having lived in Waikanae for a long time, I spent many a Saturday and Sunday at kids' sport in Levin. It's not really, you know, one of those pumping sort of centres of sporting excellence in all fairness to it. But that's where Super Rugby Opiki started, and the Hurricanes haven't even named a full squad. And we're, we're, we're going to be minus, as you say, our most high-profile, most beloved female players. And that's a terrible shame, and I think it's a step backwards after the great momentum that was generated by the, by the Rugby World Cup. And it, again, I, I, I hate being critical of New Zealand rugby because it just feels like you're shooting fish in a barrel. But really, if they cave a toss about it, if they really prioritised it, if they were trying to feed the public demand, then they would ensure that these players are available and they would be showcasing them and proper stadiums in front of tens of thousands of fans because I think we've generated a market for it and an audience that didn't exist and to hide them away with, you know, second-rate squads in Levin is just a real slap in the face to me. Oh, look, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Hamish, because if, there's a, if there is a more, um, I would say, appealing name, it's probably not the right word, but a high-profile name anyway, to sport in this country right now, it is Ruby Tui. Now, <clears throat> young women uh, want to, they will travel a lot of, a lot of young girls and young women to watch women's rugby are inspired by people like Ruby Tui. They just want to see her in the, you know, in the flesh, basically, not going to. And, and I think that's one of the classic examples. Absolutely. And not just, you know, female viewers. Like, she is one of the most charismatic athletes we've seen and provides a great lesson on how the All Blacks could conduct themselves. You know, New Zealand fell in love with the Black Ferns as much for their personality and their welcoming nature and the fact they wanted us on their journey with them as they did the football itself. The All Blacks, I wouldn't go as far as to say they treat us with contempt, but it's not far off. They, they seem to regard themselves as being above us rather than with us and on the journey with them. And the Black Ferns have shown us a different way and they've generated an appeal. I'd like to see them down the main street of Bloody Hastings this morning because I think the nation mm. didn't get a chance to, to celebrate the World Cup with them because it was, you know, in Auckland and Whangarei. But we actually want to be around these women and we want to celebrate with them. We want to watch them and we want to mm. laud them for what they've done. Massive. A, a massive opportunity going begging, I feel. I understand the government are making plans to celebrate, but... Hell's teeth. I mean, if you ever, ever wanted to, to freight a team around the country and say, come and see us, come and meet us, uh, come and play rugby, uh, young ladies, um, this is the time. This is the absolute time. Uh, speaking of timing, uh, of course, too, Ben, it is, uh, the Football World Cup is on every four years. It becomes the high profile, highest profile event in the world. Uh, but it's not without controversy. Uh, the venue alone has sparked enough of that. Um, and now we're hearing that um, the captains uh, of England, Wales, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands and Switzerland 
have scrapped plans to wear One Love rainbow armbands um, in support of um, all sorts of genders around the world. Uh, because FIFA have said uh, you wear an armband, you get a yellow card straight away. Yeah, they've cornered them. Uh, yeah, they've backed them into a corner, haven't they? It's. Uh, I love football. I love watching the World Cup. I think it's the best sporting tournament by far. But FIFA has to be the least likable sporting organisation in the world, doesn't it? Uh, definitely, yeah, beats out NZ Rugby, that's for sure. Um, you know, they, they ask the players to leave politics out of sport at the same time as sending players to World Cups in places like Russia and Qatar, uh, you know, in corrupt circumstances. They, they basically want us to ignore human rights abuses and the like, uh, which is disgusting. Uh, then they silence the players and tell them we're going to give you yellow cards. It's not a financial issue for the players. They do it if it costs them money. But if it's going to potentially cost their team uh, their place in the tournament, you know, uh, a long, deep run in a, in a FIFA World Cup, then uh, you can understand why they would back down. But it wouldn't surprise me as well if, say, a team was knocked out with one pool match left that all of the players all of a sudden take a stand or, or perhaps the World Cup final will uh, we'll have some players taking a stand on the biggest stage. It'll be interesting, actually. I think it's uh, eight or nine yellow cards this morning, so officiating is going to be a, a huge factor in it, and that was just in the one game I was watching. Uh, Hamish, it is an interesting point because if, if the football isn't brilliant, this could go down as the ugly World Cup because of so much peripheral crap going on around it. Yeah, I mean, it's truly scandalous that the tournament's there in the first place, let's be honest. And, and, and the, the political situation there is borne out by things like American football writer being barred from getting into the USA's game this morning because he had a rainbow T-shirt on. And then, you know, he mentioned to a colleague, I can't get in, they were both detained. I mean, that's, that's distasteful. I mean, even, like, I don't want to be, a, you know, I like a beer, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Like, you can't get a decent beer and you can't. You have to pay a thousand bucks for it. Like, that's... It's outrageous. It's not in keeping with the festival the Football World Cup should be. And also, I will say, I I don't really care about athletes' virtue signalling, and they can do it to the cows come home, but I'd prefer they just played the football or the cricket or whatever. You know, we won't take money from this per person or, you know, they're on a pretty good wicket. And for them to dictate how they want to behave or who they'll accept money from and all that kind of stuff, I just think, come on, fellas, let's just get on with the, let's get on with the game. Leave the politics to the politicians. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think it's a fair point. It's only just kicked off, to be fair. Only just kicked off, but there is more to come on a number of issues. And I totally agree. How the hell, that when FIFA come out and say they're quite surprised by the fact that the Qatar royal family and government system says you can't have alcohol at football matches, they'd have known that from day one. Absolutely would have known that from day one, that that was going to happen. And they saved it till the 23rd hour and the 59th minute to announce it. Don't don't pull the wool over their eyes to that degree. Budweiser heavily involved, but you can't get a beer. What a joke. Uh, Hamish Budwell, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the weather. Hope it uh, stays fine for the cricket tonight. Uh, and uh, Ben Strang as well, thank you for it very much for your input. They were our panellists this morning. We shall have another one same time tomorrow morning here on SENZ. Agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Texts that have uh, come in this morning, we'll get uh, through a few of them here. Craig uh, Smithy, after listening to Garth, I have some thoughts, uh, perhaps a bit left field. Maybe New Zealand cricket should consider getting rid of our Super Smash T20 comp 
As Garth said, we don't attract overseas stars. Our top players have plenty of options to play in overseas tournaments. I think we should have a top-class 50-over tournament where our up-and-coming domestic players can hone skills and, of course, have the four-day trophy matches. Maybe less is more for our domestic calendar. Interesting point, uh, Craig. Uh, also coming in, I, I think if it's the same, Craig, I wonder if the alcohol ban at the World, Football World Cup would have happened if it was a decent beer sponsoring the tournament. Maybe Qatar officials are just looking out for the fans by not serving that rubbish up. I don't mind a bud. I don't mind a bud. Uh, bud soup. Absolutely, you got to have a bud on Super Bowl day, don't you? Uh, is it a coaching thing, says Rory? Um, maybe they need a different voice for 2020. In a perfect world, Brendan McCullum would be our 2020 coach. Uh, maybe Stephen Fleming. Um, I would imagine um, that they have approached Stephen Fleming over the years, but I don't think they've got the bickies um, that uh, would tempt Stephen Fleming, to be fair. I really don't. He doesn't need to. doesn't need to put himself under that pressure. He has a lovely job at the Chennai, Chennai Super Kings. Um, and uh, whilst there is a lot of pressure in that role, particularly within India, uh, I'm not sure Stephen Fleming uh, uh, would want to coach them. I think he probably has been asked. Um, Grant come in with an interesting one that I didn't realise uh, Grant from the Tron Did you uh, see the news where Adam Scott has renewed Steve Williams as his caddy from this week And into next year sharing duties with his regular caddy Interesting uh, he's, uh, He does sort of uh, come and go a wee bit Steve Williams but uh, And he has had a very close association as we well know uh, With Adam Scott over the years So uh, that's an interesting one to look out for. We shall take a break. When we come back, uh, we might have a chat to Louie, I think, and certainly to uh, someone from the TAB uh, this morning on uh, some of the sports odds that are available. So much happening. SCNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> And great to talk to Louis Herman Watt this morning. Uh, but Louis talking about heavy tracks, uh, heavy eights, etc. In late November, and Alan Sherrick and the trainers uh, along those lines, absolutely applauding the fact that their horses are going to get to go on those sort of tracks, including Darcy Labella. Oh, I'm not sure it's the it's the thing we want to see at this time. No, it's probably not because most of the horses nominated for these races. And on Saturday at Pukekohe, we had really strong fields, Smithy, like it was looking like it was going to be an awesome day. And it still was an awesome day, but it makes it trickier for punters. And it just means scratchings. And at this time of year, we want big full fields. So I think trainers like Alan Sherrick nominate their horses expecting that the tracks are going to be dry as well. And when it is a bit of sting out of it, and it's heavy like it was in the weekend. That's just an added bonus. And when it became heavy, well, actually, look, it creates an opportunity with the no-deductions policy the TAB are running. I mean, on Wednesday or Thursday, just looking at the forecast and talking to people out that part of the country, it was obvious it was going to be a heavy track. It was it was always going to be heavy, and you were still getting $3.20, $3.30 around Darcy LaBella the day before. So... Smart punters can make it pay. You can find those heavy trackers. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do tend to agree with you. This time of year, you do want the dry tracks. How about this, though, Smithy? We might mm. have a really similar situation. On Thursday, we're going to be down at Otaki. Now, just looking, what have they had? They've had 7 mil the last 24 hours. So it is a heavy 8 down there at the moment. And we've got group racing on Thursday at Otaki. We've got the Levin Stakes, 
and the Wellington Stakes for the three-year-olds. And Dragon Leap is back in the country. And um, I was under the impression that they were going to be taking Dragon Leap down there. But oh, i just looking at the field now. Maybe it doesn't look that way. The butler for Alan Sharrick is going to be going down there. I dare say he will be starting a short price favourite if there's no Dragon Leap in that race um, because he's a good sprinter. And over the... 1,200 there, a little bit of a freshen up on the wet track. It'll be very hard to stop, but we'll find you those on tomorrow and uh, be able to talk a bit more about it. Look forward to that. Uh, Louis Herman, what with us there? Uh, Brendan Popperwell from the TAB. At a time of the year when uh, sports betting is going through the roof uh, because of uh, various things on, including the Football World Cup. And there are four matches to look at uh, overnight, BP. Look, there is, Smithy, and I can tell you that the Argentinian match is the one that's most popular with punters at this stage. They believe this is the one where they can be very confident with. Uh, we've had a $15,000 bet on Argentina to win at $1.14. We've also taken a number of four-figure bets around them to win head-to-head at that price. And the most popular boosted price is Argentina to win by three goals or more and to win the match to nil. Now, that currently is boosted to $3.25. And there's an attracted a, an attracted a bit of $1,700 uh, on that option as well. So that game is where all the attention will be tomorrow. Uh, and we've also got a power play that's very popular over all games, where there be two goals or more in every match that's currently sitting at 325. There's a host of different options to look at uh, throughout the Football World Cup, so make sure you dial into that. Of course, uh, a game in your backyard today, Smithy, will be the cricket, mm. India. Very well back. The outsiders and punters want to jump all around India with Glenn Phillips being the most popular run scorer, followed by Devon Conway for that match tonight. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Played it. Oh, the challenge. Penalty. There it is. There it is. There it is. Bale. Gareth Bale's fouled. The Oracle next to me, David Choate. Gareth Bale has won a penalty for Wales. The number 11 proudly on the back. He approaches. He strikes it into the back of the net. High above Turner. It's a goal 64 years in the making. Wales level. Wales won. The United States won. 82 minutes played. It's 11.02 here on SENZ, and I'm surprised he's got any voice left, but Daniel McCarty has, and he's uh, deemed it a, a good enough show for him to be able to talk to this morning about uh, the Football World Cup, and that was his voice you heard uh, describing the 12th of 12 goals actually scored in uh, football action overnight at the World Cup in Qatar. So, uh, Daniel, first of all, it's been 64 years in the making. What has? Uh, Wales uh, back at a World Cup. Smithy, good morning to you. To you. Uh, you're always good enough for me, Smithy. You know I have very high standards. Uh, 64 long much. years. 64 long years. 1958 was the last time Wales uh, were at a World Cup. Um, if you want me to go even deeper, 23,533 days since they last scored at a FIFA World Cup. Uh, incredible, really, um, that Wales have been out of uh, the big time for this long. I must admit, if you, if you get a chance to watch a replay of the game, Smithy, watch the national mm. anthem. I'm not Welsh. In fact, I think I'm about 2% Welsh. Uh, I, I had tears welling up. It was so emotional. 
um, uh, the United States stands for excellent too. Uh, so it, it was quite an emotional sort of return for Wales. They were second best for long periods of the game though. Really impressed with the high energy, um, enthusiastic young American uh, lineup led by Christian Pulisic who, who um, slid a wonderful pass through to Tim Weyer to score after 36 minutes. Uh, Pulisic was, was a real menace dropping into little half spaces and creating real turmoil. I thought Wales might have had a little bit of stage fright in the first half. They were very passive. They obviously want to sit off and counter-attack sides, uh, but there was no sign of any real counter-attack. So at halftime, Rob Page, their uh, manager, made the change, brought on Kiefer Moore, who's a good old-fashioned uh, target man up front. And they were just a little bit more direct, a little bit more assertive, um, and, and left their fingerprints on the game more. I don't think they dominated the second half. There was probably more parity in that one. And I, I thought the States sort of ran out of steam. The, the United States played this high-pressing game. It's all energy. And in uh, the tricky uh, conditions, the heat and humidity, I thought they um, you know, slowed down somewhat and probably will reflect on not creating enough chances with all the possession and uh, good, good field position that they had in that first half. So probably on is even is fair enough. But Gareth Bale, he, he was on the periphery the whole game, and David Choke called it about 60 seconds before that penalty. He just said, you watch this, Gareth Bale's about to do something, and he won a penalty. Zimmerman uh, probably will reflect on a, on a needless challenge. He had his back to goal, did Gareth Bale. Mm. Uh, one little mistake. And uh, the key man, probably the most important man for one team at this World Cup. Um, you know, a huge moment for Wales to, to register a point in their first game. I, I, watched the, I, I was able to watch uh, some of it um, because I've got a, a TV on while, whilst I'm doing the, the show, actually. So I did see some of it. What I also saw was some, I won't say, I, 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 for want of a better word, aggressive refereeing. Uh, a lot of cards, <laughs> seemingly, seemingly a lot of cards. The most excited man on the field in the opening 20 minutes was our Qatari referee. He was charging in like a peacock, um, waving hands around in a lot of robust conversations, doled out um, you know, quite a few cards a couple to the Americans in the opening 15 minutes. I don't think he got many of them wrong, in fairness. Um, but uh, uh, it always can be a little bit of a worry, Smithy, um, when, when the referee's the most excitable player on the park or the most excited mm. person on the park. Uh, but ultimately, he got the big call right. There was absolutely no doubt about the penalty. He whistled straight away. He was in perfect position for it. He was no more than four or five metres away. Um, so uh, no, no blight on his record book, but it's... He certainly did uh, make the most of his, uh, you know, moment in the sun. But I wouldn't mess with him. He's quite a big unit, um, uh, the referee. He'd be well over six foot. So uh, I'm sure you wouldn't have uh, said anything to him if he was officiating you. <laughs> Mate, I wouldn't last five minutes on a football field these days. <laughs> I, I, used to get, I used to get caution. I used to get caution to Saturday morning with Miramar Rangers about 40, 40 <laughs> 55 years ago when I played alongside the Choke Brothers. There you go. Uh, that's oh, that's interesting. Mir- oh, you're a part of the Mirror Mafia. Oh, oh you really yes, are I, I am. I'm five flank, Crawford Green. So there you go. Uh, okay, let's go a little bit earlier in, the, in the, the morning, shall we say. Now, what kind of money would I got on the fact that England would score six goals and Harry Kane wouldn't get one? What kind of freight yeah. would I got on that? Well, Harry Kane scores a goal a game at World Cups. Uh, you would have got huge money, Smithy. Firstly, 6-2, the scoreline in of itself is a shock. Idana are a good side, uh, very good up top, a um, couple of really good strikers, but have been cut to shreds. Carlos Queiroz is their head coach, and he generally sets up sides to be painful to play against. Often, 
his sides get criticised for being turgid with ball uh, at feet. They, they were cut to ribbons by uh, England. What, what I can't fathom, and I know their results in the lead-up to the tournament hadn't been great, but I've been listening and reading a lot uh, of the UK press. There's so much doom and gloom about England uh, heading into this tournament. You just look at the, the players on that team sheet. There's so much quality. So to discount England, um, I, I, I think it's a little bit foolish. Yes, their form hasn't been good, but there's too much quality there. Edan's I do worry about them now, Smithy, after a result like that. What's going on at home? Not sure if you're caught up with. Uh, there was obviously some turmoil leading up to the World Cup where they re- refused to sing the national anthem. Um, they uh, were warned that they had to sing the national anthem here. There was some suggestion that they would have to sign a waiver to agree to sing the national anthem. It sounds like um, uh, a lot of the players didn't. Uh, Iranian TV cut away as a result from that. So um, if knives were not out for them at that stage, they certainly will be out um, after losing six goals to two. This was a group where I think all sides were ranked inside the top 20. That's how Mm -hmm. Iran have been, but they were miles off the pace. And you do wonder if there is a little bit of turmoil going on. I I know their uh, their strike partners um, uh, don't see eye to eye politically. So what's going on at home seems to be having an impact inside that camp, which is a real shame. One of the other shames, of course, and it's going to be tarred with this, uh, there's no doubt about it, this Qatar World Cup, is uh, the human rights issue, which, of course, is, um, has been um, in the headlines. The fact that uh, some of the captains, some of the players were wanting to use uh, One Love armbands. FIFA have said, you wear an armband of that nature. You have an automatic yellow card before the whistle is blown. You wear it two, of course, or three. You're out of the tournament, effectively. So they've backed them into a corner here on this issue. Smithy, I can't understand this. How often do you see the captain's armband? How often do you pay attention to the captain's armband? Yeah, it's a little gesture. Um, I, I think uh, you can go uh, far further if you're these teams as far as making you know, important gestures. I think FIFA and the Qatari authorities have made this a bigger deal as a result. The, the, this story will be far more reported than... Um, uh, you know, Virgil van Dijk wore the the One Love armband uh, against Senegal earlier this morning. I'm not sure, too sure how you feel about um, uh, about my suggestion there, but I, I think they've um, you know created a lot of attention. But rightly so. We had you know one of the chief organisers saying homosexuality is you know a disease of the mind essentially in the lead up to this tournament. Yeah, I, I know um, you want to respect our nations and the way they live their life, but um, you know free speech is an important one to all of us, isn't it? And yeah, I, I, I just think it's been uh, poorly handled. And uh, as a result, now Western media is going to focus on this a lot more than uh, just allowing them to wear, wear, the, wear the armband, in my opinion. I might be wrong. Well, that's the other issue, of course, is the fans. Without uh, a football, without fans, a football World Cup just isn't a football World Cup, and that includes, of course, exactly. you go on a, a football, you go on a football sporting trip. Um, you know, uh, you expect that um, you're going to have a decent sort of social time as well. I mean, you've saved for it forever to go on this thing. Uh, I can remember playing in and commentating uh, World Cups in Pakistan, where there was no alcohol. Uh, you knew that before yeah. you went. No, no alcohol for the fans. You knew that uh, for the players, etc. Um, you couldn't even really get exemptions back in those days. Things are a little bit more liberal now, but is it a case with the fans here is just let the buyer beware? I mean, did FIFA, uh, FIFA really trying to tell us they didn't realise till 24 hours out that this would be the case by the, the Qatar royal family? What do, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, very strange with the alcohol because, you know, the talk for, for months 
um, almost years leading up to it was there might not be alcohol um, available. Then there was a bit of a song and dance made that, yes, it will be available. And then, what, 48 hours before the tournament kicks off, um, that's dragged out. Although the corporates, I understand, Smithy, were still able to buy their 25 New Zealand dollar Budweiser's. I don't know how, um, why anyone in their right mind would spend 25 bucks on that. Um, you know, quite bizarre, really. Um, you're so right. And, you know, suggestions from Gianni Infantino, oh, you can go without uh, alcohol for a couple of hours. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's certainly not serving uh, the fans particularly well. I, I did have a good chuckle um, when, I, when I heard, saw the Ecuadorian fans yesterday uh, chanting, we want beer, we want beer uh, during a game for which the Qatari fans, and, and this can't be ignored, I know it's a small nation, that stadium was almost half empty in the second half. A lot of Qatari fans left at half time. So you can spend $220 billion. I think that's US they've spent on this tournament, which is as much as the last eight World Cup combined. Combined, you can't theoretically buy fans, can you? You can't create something out of nothing. You. That, you can't contrive fandom uh, in sport, it, it would seem. So, yeah, it's just uh, it's, a, it's a messy start to a tournament, which should all be about what's on the field, but rightly so. I can understand why uh, there's so much attention off it. Well, let's get back to the field, because I, it, it disappoints me to have to, to continue to talk about it. And we're only a couple of days yeah. in, and there's going to yeah. be more. You know, there's going to be so many more issues. So let, let's get back to the field, too. One of the sides that flatters to deceive all the time, and that, of course, is the Dutch, the Netherlands, and they left it pretty late, but they got up 2-0 over Senegal. Yeah, always my favourite side. I've been, um, I've had a very soft spot for the Dutch since uh, the wonderful side of 1988 won the European Championship with Ruud Hullet jumping around with the, the dreadlocks and Van Basten, you know, volley in the final. Uh, they are a side who have flattered to deceive, to use your words, and a side who traditionally, Smithy, rely on their attacking quality. Uh, for years and years and years, you could always bank on a 4-3-3 uh, the, the Dutch had their style. Uh, you could prepare for them because they had this, um, you know, innate self-confidence that their style would work. Well, it's not the case really in 2022. Louis van Gaal is uh, a very wily, um, experienced campaigner. Um, his backstory uh, is a fascinating one. It's his last tournament. The man is suffering from cancer that will um, essentially take his life. Uh, it's his last show. And um, he, he, he's playing the cards he's dealt with. In this generation of Dutch players, they're very good defensively, led by Virgil van Dijk, uh, Frankie de Jong, um, deep-lying midfielder. And further forward, they sort of struggle. And, and this morning, Memphis Depay, who really is their talisman going forward, wasn't available to them. So Vincent Janssen uh, started. Now, Vincent Janssen was the butt of um, you know, English football them jokes after a very, very um, lean, shall I say, uh, club spell in the UK. But somehow he's found his way back in the Dutch mix and actually started. But you're right, they did have to work hard against Senegal. Senegal's a really good team. They're the champions of Africa. The problem is, I see for Senegal, losing Sadio Mane is just crippling to them. Uh, I, I think they just lose so much with him being ruled out uh, uh, with injury. And that sort of showed. I, I didn't see a whole heap um, in that final third. Uh, defensively through midfield, they're, they're a good side. Um, and, and I do wonder... Now, how are they going to respond? Um, and the Dutch, I think, will progress. You can put a line through uh, Qatar. They were never going to get out of the group. So it really does come down to uh, three teams with Ecuador getting off the mark. Uh, Ecuador and... Uh, yeah, I, I'm struggling to... 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if Senegal is maybe one of the bigger missions from the second round. Okay, interesting. Uh, right, four more uh, matches tonight. Eight more teams, of course, having their first uh, match in the Saudi uh, in the Qatar World Cup. So let's uh, look at those as they go through chronologically. BP, Brendan Popple saying there's a lot of money on Argentina to score plenty of goals against Saudi Arabia. And that's first up at 11pm our time. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Argentina are nine favourites in many people's eyes. Uh, they've got such a good balance to their side. A bit like the Dutch of yesteryear, they always used to be sort of top-heavy. Uh, and didn't have the balance. I've got it now. Uh, Messi seems to be very happy at Paris Saint-Germain, scoring goals unlike last season. They've got the um, uh, Copa America Championship to their name, um, so they're too good for Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, um, you know, without being too disparaging, probably are one of the weakest sides of this tournament, so that, that's a win to Argentina in my mind, no doubt. Right, OK. Uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, Messi, of course, will be involved there. Lionel Messi... Uh, Denmark, Tunisia at 2am. Uh, this is uh, Group D action. Yeah, well, Denmark had a great European Championship, didn't they? They were uh, unlucky not to get past England in the semi-final. Uh, you know, a controversial penalty and extra time. Uh, very experienced group. Uh, have been around for a long time. Some real quality. Christian Eriksen, isn't it wonderful to see him back at a World Cup after that, you know, horror side of him having to be mm. resuscitated on the field at that European Championship. He's a real maestro um, at the top of their, uh, their attacking line. Uh, but uh, can they show the consistency back-to-back tournaments? That, that's a bit of a question. Um, Tunisia, it's a side I'm unsure about. They've got some you know, individual quality. Um, you know, Ziyech's a, a really fine player. Um, but but if, if I'm too to put my uh, neck on the line, I'll say... Denmark win that game and probably progress out of the group at the expense of Tunisia and Australia with France also to go through. OK, right. Um, I, I don't mind the... I wouldn't say I'm absolutely excited to watch the Denmark play football, um, but they are solid. There's no doubt about it. They they're play really good. Yeah, they, they're really... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really competent. Yeah. Hard to break. Very well organised. Uh, they don't have... They don't have a world-class forwards, in my opinion, that would scare opposition sides. So... I could see them making it through to the quarterfinals. Beyond that, I have my doubts. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if someone gives them a hiding, though, along the way. Um, here yeah. we go. Um, Mexico, the flamboyance, uh, unpredictability of Mexico up against uh, Poland. Another very powerful European side, of course. Uh, that's a 5 a.m. tomorrow morning a game out of Group C. How do you see this? I've actually punted this as a draw. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad shout at all. Uh, Mexico were... Phew, um, a little bit unconvincing in qualification or out of CONCACAF, finishing behind Canada and the US from memory. Uh, you, you say uh, um, unpredictable. At Football World Cups, they're the most predictable beast on the planet. They've made the second round seven straight tournaments, Smithy, and have not progressed out of the second round seven straight mm. times. Um, it's an incredibly um, bizarre record, if you think about it. What, what I struggle with, as far as being optimistic about Mexico, where are the goals coming from? I think um, Vegas was their leading goal scorer in qualification with two goals. There you go. That that probably sums them up. Poland have a maestro up top, Robert Lewandowski, um, if not the very best number nine going around the world. Uh, He was brilliant in qualification for them. They scored a whole heap of goals in qualification, I think maybe third or fourth best out of Europe. But when you get to these tournaments against the better sides, do they have enough service to, to really get uh, Lewandowski um, 
uh, into things. I think there's deficiencies uh, across certain parts of the field, but this is the game of um, who will progress um, out of that group. Uh, It's a huge game for both those two nations, and a loss tomorrow morning, I think kickoffs at 5am, would be devastating to to both those teams' campaigns. Australia have been uh, rocked by injury. Um, They had to really fight like hell to get to the World Cup, and they did, but they've lost players, key players, and they have a real hurdle tomorrow morning uh, at uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, that's uh, against the French, who, well, you, you just don't know, do you, really? But um, all, all, in all honesty, this is one the French should win. I do feel for Australia. Um, they are one of those nations where everything needs to break their way. You need everything to go your way, and health is at the top of the billing there. It hasn't, uh, as you pointed out. Graham Arnold, their coach, has set a very high benchmark, saying, why not get to the knockout stage? I think he might have said, why not get to the quarterfinals? I think that's probably a bridge too far. Um, Denmark, I, I think, are ultra-consistent. Uh, France, on the other hand, world champions, but listening to some uh, pretty wise uh, footballing minds out of France, um, you know, memories of 2002 are flooding back. Um, Smithy, you might remember they were defending champs in 2002, were besieged mm. by injuries prior to the tournament and didn't even make it out of the group stage. Now, they've lost uh, Kante and uh, Pogba in the middle of the park, their central midfield part, uh, uh, duo who worked so well together. It's a devastating blow. And now they've lost the Ballon d'Or winner, uh, Karim Benzema, who's out. There's also injuries mm. across the park in other areas. They are vulnerable. Uh, but I just don't think Australia has enough weapons uh, to beat them. Um, France, four years ago, were very prudent. They didn't play ultra-attacking football. Um, they managed the games very well and then used their quality up front. I know they've got injuries, but they've still got the likes of Griezmann, uh, Mbappe up top. Uh, France will beat Australia and probably probably will defy the sort of naysayers are expecting uh, an implosion. I think they'll get out of the group stage. I, do, I actually don't see... France going beyond the quarterfinals, though, this time around. Okay. Um, just finally, when can we hear you and the Oracle back together again, you and Choate? Oh, Choate was magnificent this morning. Picked it like a dirty nose, didn't he? Uh, to, uh, David's got tomorrow morning off. He reckons he's got an important meeting. I think it has much to do with the fact that we've got a 5 o'clock kickoff tomorrow. Uh, so choate has got the day off tomorrow. He's back for the following day. But I've got a pretty good uh, replacement, former... Uh, New Zealand midfielder and our good friend uh, Rafael Di Gregorio to join me in commentary and uh, tomorrow um, we've got a few tongue twisters to get our head around. We've got uh, Polska, we've got Poland up against Mexico Smithy, what could possibly go wrong in a, in a commentary box when Poland's involved? Too many consonants, Nothing. not enough vowels Not enough, and I'll tell you what I'll tell you what will help you get through it some pizza, some pizza at 5 o'clock, that'll help you get through it <laughs> Well Rafael if you want pizza on Wellington, Raf is your man. Pizza Napoli's very best. He'll be cock a hoop because his Napoli's actually winning Serie A. So I'd like to think he's oh. going to be a happy man despite the early start. No, he will be. And they Napoli are going extra special. I keep an eye on him because of that fact that he supports them. Hey, Daniel, thanks very much for your time, mate. I know you've uh, got some early mornings ahead of you. So thanks for giving us a bit of your time in review of day two and looking forward to day three. Thanks, mate. I appreciate well, I it. My pleasure, Smithy. Good, good, yes, good to uh, chat as always, mate. Take it easy. Yeah, cheers. Daniel McCarty there, of course, uh, not only our cricket commentator, our football commentator, our weekend host. My God, the man's a busy man. It's 11.04. We talked to him. There's so a 19-minute interview we had with him there. Ah, goodness me, just uh, come off calling a couple of halves of football as well.
So we are at uh, 11.23. We've got uh, a stump smithy not too far away. And, of course, 100 bucks up for grabs. We might have a text or two before then. Burton Agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Text coming in. Uh, hey, Smithy, the Bay is looking mint at the moment, eh? Will Chapman coming at four. Will Tickner get a run? Cheers. That's Marshy. Hey, Marshy, here's the thing. I'm uh, just looking at the weather forecast, and I hate to be a jinx, but they are saying scattered thunderstorms between four o'clock and eight o'clock tonight. Let's hope that is not the case. Please, Hawks Bay and rain and cricket just go hand in hand in hand. Uh, let's hope that is not the case. Uh, yes, I'd like to see them go Chapman at four. Uh, then Mitchell at five, and uh, I'd like to see them throw in Jimmy Nisham at six and just say to the team, keep going, keep going at India, keep hammering away, keep hammering. If three of you come off, we'll get a good score and we'll get it quickly. Just keep going. That would be my attitude, and that's why I'm not a coach. Uh, Chris, absolutely love our golfers at the moment. So pleased for Lydia. The fact her, her form has returned to her this year is brilliant. My son finished runner-up at last week's New Zealand Amateur Championship, beaten by an Aussie in the final. Chris, that is an amazing story. That is amazing. Congratulations to you, obviously, as a parent, putting uh, a lot into your son's uh, development in golf. Uh, what a great a great result that is. Uh, so we say thank you from on behalf of the station. And uh, yes, uh, I do uh, concur with you. There seems to be a lot of talent coming through the ranks to continue for the years to come. Golf is in such a good place. Uh, Craig, being the generous man that he is out of the Bay of Plenty, said, look, after losing Stump yesterday, I'm keen to have another go, but won't call today. Other people should have a crack. But come on, Smithy, jackpot it again and the pot builds. OK, Craig, we'll see what we can do very, very shortly. Uh, Mark has come and said, uh, morning, Smithy. I feel really sorry for Guptill. He always gives 100%. If he fails with the bat, he certainly makes up for it with his fielding. I can count on one hand the amount of time I've seen him drop a catch and still have a fingers left uh, with every black cap. Can't do that, um, really. He is just not the man um, that, that should, I think, have been given this kind of treatment, Martin Guptill, without absolute stone-cold certainties and guarantees put in place behind him. That is not the case at the moment. Too much on... Finn Allen, and a lot of people are starting to realise that. Uh, Tyson, morning, Smitty. I think New Zealand cricket has put Finn, under, uh, Finn Allen under uh, unneeded pressure. They could have used uh, Allen and Guptill to sharpen each other, build competition between the two, and slowly build transition Allen into the role. But instead, they've just pushed him in there, and, and now he and the team are under the pump. Lydia Co, legend. I'm not even a golfer, but know how big the sport is globally, and what our golfers are doing is nothing less than amazing. And then Tyson... After all of that, you say up the Warriors. Man, what an all-rounder you are. And the Warriors are heavily into pre-season at the moment. And, of course, that season is not too far away. Right, uh, the switchboard is already lighting up. 0800 150 Number of calls uh, coming through because you have the opportunity to now to win 100 bucks, 100 from the TAB. So, uh, yes, uh, that is the number. 0800 150 Just repeating that. And we'll be uh, back with you shortly. But in the meantime... Here is the 11.31 edition of the news with Araha. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. 
All right, it's time for Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. A big one today, Smithy. $100 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. i got to say, it's been a while since we've got to this mark. I think maybe Ricardo got there once in your absence. So, uh, yeah, really good to get it up here today, mate. Yeah, looking forward to get it to 150 as well. So um, who, have, uh, who have we got in line uh, to take a beating today? Oh, I like that fighting words. First at the crease, we got Matt from New Plymouth. Come in, mate. Yeah, good day. How are you? Yeah, Matt from the Taranaki. Okay, uh, Matt, um, how's the weather over there, man? Uh, it's actually not too bad. A little bit windy, but nice and sunny. Okay, cool. Right, uh, let's uh, look at the subjects uh, that you've got for Matt today, please, Logan. The subjects to choose from today, Matt, are rugby league, rugby, and Cricket. Three staples here on the show. Jeez, it'll be uh, pretty pretty keen to take some of the on in cricket, I think. Um, might, might have to go with uh, rugby. <laughs> I thought you were going to do it for a second there. All right, good luck. Always takes a brave soul to take on Smithy and cricket, but some have done it. Some have done it. All right. First question for you. <clears throat> Last weekend's match was the 43rd meeting of the All Blacks and England. What year is recognised as the first between the two teams? Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> it's a, a tough first answer. question, Brian. It is, it is. Um, let's go early 1900s. Let's go... No- 1913. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy? I'll go earlier than that for some stupid reason. I'll go 1898. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. If you basically split the difference between your two answers, you'd, you'd be there. 1905, back on December 2nd there, at Crystal Palace. New Zealand won 15-0 that day. That would have been, back then, might have been five tries. I, don't, I can't remember what the scoring was like back then, but the tries, I think, were back then with three points. Okay, so uh, neither of us are any good at that. Don't can those year questions, will you? Those years going back for over a century? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send the feedback to the third umpire and I'll see what he has to say. Second question for you, Matt. England have beaten the All Blacks eight times, but how many draws have there now been? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. I reckon there was three up until Saturday, four. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Two, was it? Yes, two is the answer. I thought thought, uh, thought that was third as well. I thought, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we're going well here. Tough questions, tough questions being said here today. All right, $100 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Matt, name the English player who has scored the highest total points for an individual in matches played versus the All Blacks. Is it it, uh, Johnny Wilkinson? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, can we get it up to 150? Oh, can we, can we, can we? How many has Farrell scored? 
How many has Farrell scored? He's right up there. Owen Farrell with um, with point scorers in world rugby. I just wonder if he scored. I'm just going back to fly halves and prodigious point scorers. And in my lifetime, I would have thought Johnny Wilkinson would be right up there. Uh, just trying to think of prodigious number 10. Mike Cat, no. Oh, I have to go Farrell. I have to go Owen Farrell because he's my last memory. There you go. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. That's right, Smithy, Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell is leading there with 60 points. Oh, well, uh, cheers, Matt. It was the only only other name after Wilkinson that I I could recall having longevity in the side. And then I did hear a stat the, the other day that he was right up there about fourth or fifth in the history of point scorers in Test Rugby. may even been a bit higher, so... That tends to suggest to me he scored a few against the All Blacks. Uh, hey, mate, th- thanks very much for taking part. Uh, better luck uh, next time, and I hope you have a great day uh, in the Naki. And uh, for those uh, who tried and didn't get on this morning, 150 bucks up for grabs around 11.30 tomorrow morning. So we look forward to, uh, to having your company there. Uh, thank you um, to everyone, and it's uh, time to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we might have uh, a little bit of audio to play from the Logan Swinkles Library of Audio. Culture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just before we get to an interesting uh, rugby interview here, just a couple more texts to read out. Uh, Craig said, well done, Smithy. Yes, uh, thank you, Craig. Yeah, we've got to 150 bucks. You can get back on the blower tomorrow morning. Um, Here's uh, an interesting thought on who you'd like to see uh, coach the uh, New Zealand T20 side as well. Craig McMillan coming as coach with uh, maybe Craig Cumming. Fresh thinking is what is needed. Interesting. Don't mind that uh, idea. That's uh, out of the square, and that's what T20 is. Uh, and uh, that's backed up by Mark, what Mark said. In my opinion, New Zealand cricket and generally sport, New Zealand seems to want to not risk trying something new for the fear of losing. I see that in Williamson's banning and almost, well, it would have been much worse if I got out mentality. Rather than risking it, I mean, that's why there are more batters. T20 cricket requires risk and innovation, and that isn't who we are currently. Right, Mark? You're absolutely spot on. Right, uh, also, uh, we promised you a little bit of rugby audio. Uh, And this is uh, an interesting interview with uh, Mr Chris Lendron. Now Chris is of course the New Zealand Rugby General Manager of Professional Rugby and Performance. And uh, the subject really is uh, what are they going to do New Zealand Rugby to cash in on this wonderful success of the Black Ferns and make sure that it continues on. Hey Chris, just on the on the way that the game is, I guess, um, taken off off the field. Has New Zealand rugby thought about innovative ways of capturing, I guess, the support? You know, you had the introduction of the poi at the games. There was lots of singing. Um, you had a, that interaction between, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it. Like the media, they they shove. Fo- Microphones and, and pl- f- um, coaches' faces. You look at Brad Fittler's State of Origin, for instance. But with the woman, yeah. they actually take that and they own it in that space. Has there been some innovative thinking yeah. around the NZR on how you take these games to the public and what the public actually bring back to the game? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Um, the, the the as a general rule, the women are different from the men. Eh? Like they're it's. And, you know, just even walking into team environments, as I get to do from time to time, you know, it's totally different, isn't it? The um, team's environment, guys, are a bit quieter. Um, 
uh, women's environments, you know, there's, there's a lot of hugging and kissing, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of dancing. Um, it's just totally different, and they bring that to the game um, in their preparation, how they are after the after the game. You know, I mean, one of the absolute moments of the year for me was watching poor old Stacey walk off with 10 minutes to go in that final and a standing ovation on the Eastern Terraces at Eden Park and her smiling and waving. I mean, you, that's something that's unique to the women's game. Um, and, yeah, I think we've got um, we've got a lot of thinking about how we innovate around the game and an opportunity to do things differently in the women's game. Um, it doesn't need to look like the men's. In fact, I think one of the lessons that we've taken at New Zealand um, this year is that uh, is exactly that, you know, that it shouldn't look like the men's. Don't try to make it like men's rugby. It's women's rugby. It's different. And just really um, amplify those differences because that's, that's the differences that make it fun and exciting. All right, just quickly, last one before we let you go. Going forward, what does the international calendar look like for the women next year? Yeah, Um <laughs> well, next year, no, no, mate. I've, I've got a good answer for you because I think um, okay. in over over history in the um, in the women's game, this has been a real challenge, right? Like people people bemoan the lack of investment in the game, and that's a fair thing, um, a, a fair comment if you have bemoaned it. But the reality is, we've never been able to show to sponsors a consistent schedule for the Black Sands, you know, they're going to play in this series and they're going to play in that series. And hopefully 2023 is the year that that all changes. We should have um, another uh, Pacific Four tournament um, in the sort of probably the second quarter of the year. Um, and then the big um, the big tournament, hopefully, is what we're referring to as WXV or Women's 15s International Nations tournament, which should happen towards the end of the year. Uh, where you'll see the world's best nations, the top six, um, three from the north and three from the south, um, playing against each other uh, in one venue. The venue's TBC at the moment, um, uh, and, and, and World Rugby are um, you know, still finalising the details of this, but that's definitely the plan. So you, know, you should see the Black Ferns, we hope, playing... Um, you know, somewhere between nine and eleven tests next year. We'll definitely have them playing at home, um, regardless of where those tournaments are hosted. Um, and so, you know, and, and that should roll on um, for, for years after that. So, it's pretty exciting that we're, you know, we're actually at the tipping point now, um, having had a home World Cup, where some of these. Um, pieces to the puzzle that we've been seeking for a number of years in the women's game are actually falling into place um, and next three years running into the 25 World Cup in England is going to be you know, incredibly exciting and, and I would imagine the best years um, yet for women's rugby and, and women in the game in New Zealand. Well, that's amazing, isn't it, news to find out uh, up to 9 to 11 test matches in next calendar year for the Black Ferns, that is exactly what they want. That is exactly what the public want. You would sense from the mood around the country at the moment. Um, and uh, the, the youngsters uh, have a real opportunity. They, they take those tests around the country. And that, that is good news, of course, because they didn't take the World Cup around the country. Uh, that was left to uh, basically uh, Whangarei, uh, Waitakere and Eden Park. So we know that. 
Uh, and there, there was a, a, a large uh, disappointed faction of New Zealand who said, why couldn't they have brought some games around the country? Well, the fact that they've got between 9 and 11 uh, gives them an opportunity to take the game around the country, the players around the country, to stadiums of various sizes and just give uh, the rest of the country an opportunity to see this wonderful team in, in action. Outstanding news. I think that was the best thing I got out of that interview with Chris Lindrum there. Uh, conducted by Kempi and the, and the guys. Uh, it is 11.50 here on SENZ. We'll be back uh, very shortly to hand over to Mark Stafford. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.